We're going to continue today in the book of Mark. Uh, and Jeff, who's one of our elders in training, is going to be teaching. And so I want to just pray for him as we get started. And then, uh, yeah, we'll hear from the Lord the same way we, we read from Psalms that God speaks through his word. God speaks through his people as his spirit empowers those who are teaching uh, to share what, what he wants us to hear. So, Father, we thank you for Jeff. We thank you that you have called him to uh, be your child. Father, I pray that your spirit would rest on him this morning. Mm. Father, pray that you would give him a spirit of boldness, not of fear. Yeah. Father, pray that you would speak deeply to our hearts uh, what you want us to hear this morning. And so, Father, pray that we would be attentive to what you have to say to us. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, Tripp. Um, morning, family. How y'all doing? Um, great. Well, we're continuing our, in the book of Mark today. And uh, last week, as a reminder, we uh, heard from Brad about the story about the transfiguration. And Brad painted a picture for us and helped us see um, how we all find our, our own stories. We find ourselves in uh, three of the characters in the transfiguration story, Moses, Elijah, and Peter. And we, we learned about how they all interact with God how they all listen with God, um, and how sometimes they don't, <laughs> um, and how sometimes we walk in those same paths. And it was a really beautiful message, a calling for us to become a people who start to listen to our God more, and to create rhythms of that in our lives. Um, and this week, it's actually a continuation uh, of that message. Uh, we're going to look at two groups of people, a father and his son, who are in desperate need for help in their lives, who are overwhelmed with life. And then we see uh, the nine disciples who didn't go up to the hill. Uh, they're also in, in need for God to help. And Jesus is calling both of those groups of people to come to him, to, to call out to him, um, and to listen as well. So let's pick up. Uh, we're in Mark 9. Uh, so I'll, I'll give you all a second to open your phones or Bibles. Uh, we're in Mark 9, starting in verse 14. So we pick the story back up. And it says... And when they came to the disciples, so this is Jesus and Peter, James, and John. When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and scribes arguing with them. And immediately the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he, Jesus, answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. So Jesus is coming down the mountain, and Peter, James, and John have just seen Jesus in all of his glory with two archetypes, two heroes of the faith, Moses and Elijah. It is, it is something, Brad said this last week, I loved it. It's what philosophers and theologians had talked about for hundreds or thousands of years, that Jesus is fully man, but also fully God, and Peter, James, and John just got a front row seat to that, uh, to his godhood. 
Um, I mean, it's a, a metaphorical and literal mountaintop experience. Uh, you know, and they're coming down off this mountain, um, and they come into what feels like a, a reality show or something. It's a, it's a hot mess. Uh, they come down off this hill, and what's happened is, um, I won't, <laughs> you laugh, it's because you're thinking of The Bachelor, right? Yes, you were. Sorry. I, that's my only jab at The Bachelor, okay? I'm sorry, Alan. Uh, um, so <laughs> this father and the son are in desperate need. And they come to these disciples for help. And we see the disciples are trying to help bring restoration and cast out this demon. And for who knows how long, they're not able to. And you can kind of see these characters, the scribes, maybe standing off on the side, mocking them, critiquing them. And you can kind of imagine the disciples start, like, starting to argue with them more and more. And then all of a sudden, we, we get to this scene where the disciples are arguing with the scribes. The father and son seem to be standing there, not partaking in any argument, but just, just being in need. There's a great crowd around them just watching all this go down. And Jesus and Peter, James, and John come down. And when they even ask what's going on, the disciples I don't know if they heard him and didn't answer, or just the father was so in need of help that he cried out first. But the father and the son explained to Jesus what's going on. Um, yeah, it's a hot mess. <laughs> um, and it's a, it's a little bit of what our lives feel like at times, I think. Um, but we often think of the disciples as these victory-driven heroes that are experiencing miracles. They're going out into their city and seeing revival happen constantly. But we get a, a real-life picture of it wasn't always like that. And, and they, were, they were men trying to live out their calling, and sometimes it went really great, and sometimes they were falling on their face and getting into arguments with people who were, who were, uh, who were disagreeing with them. Um, and, and, then, and then we see Jesus over here. And I think we, you know, often our culture can have a stoic view of Jesus, that he's maybe detached a little bit uh, from emotions, or he's just like always peaceful, always joyous. And it's really interesting because you see this godhood in the transfiguration last week. And then just in the very next, next passage, you see his fully human side, that he's connected with his emotions, and that he's actually giving himself to being in relationship with people, uh, with humanity, with, with us. And, uh, you know, if any of you have tried to be in a relationship with each other, it can be frustrating at times. You know, we can let each other down. And there's uh, unhealthy frustration, but there's also healthy frustration when things aren't the way they're meant to be. And it hurts. And, um, and Jesus, what's so good in this passage is uh, when he's frustrated, he's not like a lot of us. He presses in in, in pure love. Um, you know, he, he doesn't step into the situation with a passive-aggressive, like, fine, I'll help you, like, you guys can't help. And he doesn't, he doesn't walk away, either. He, he presses in and he says, you know, bring him to me. And so, that's a, the story that we're in this morning. And as we pick back up in verse 20, I'm going to read just a few more verses. It says, and they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. 
I want to just pause here because we get this a little bit deeper, like a few onion, layers of the onion are peeled back. We see this dad who has just been battling this like, disease, this, this attack on his son's life. It seems like for a long time. And this dad, it, it doesn't seem like he's trying to live this big victory-driven life. He's just trying to survive, keep his son from being thrown into the fire and thrown into the water. He's overwhelmed with what life has for him and what cards have been dealt. Now, this is a pretty extreme case, but I think a lot of us feel this way sometimes. You know, we may say, oh, well, you know, I'm, my relative or son isn't <laughs> cast, isn't possessed by a demon being thrown in, so I can't feel that overwhelmed. But I think we often sympathize and empathize with this, right? We often feel like we can't get a grasp on what's life, what life is throwing at us. We don't know how we're going to make it to the next month. Maybe if we feel like, okay, I'll be able to figure it out, but it's just constant thing after thing keeps kind of tackling us down. Our friends hurt us. Our family lets us down. The, the jobs don't, don't meet our expectations. It can be hard living in L.A., meeting people, or even feeling like you're, you're making it. Um, and so I wanted to pause here and ask us as a family, because I think it's really healthy to start to speak these things out as we come before God and we talk about praying and calling out to Him. Uh, what are things that, that, that are overwhelming to you right now? That you feel like, uh, I, I don't know how to handle it. And, and it's had me down. Or maybe it, it's constantly leading me to, to anxiousness. Uh, what are those things that, that overwhelm you all? Not having enough time? Yeah. So many things that you want to do, that you want to participate in. Yeah, and never having enough time. Yeah. What else? Having combative coworkers. Combative coworkers? Yeah. Yeah, you spend a lot of time with those coworkers. Yeah. You'd raise your hand, Ashley. Not enough energy. Yeah. Yeah, there's always one more thing to do, and we are so finite in each 24 hours that we have. Yeah. Too much to do. Yeah, it's a lot like what we've been talking about. Not enough energy, not enough time in the day. Learning I can't control my child. You can't control your child. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. 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 We can't control our family. Even though they, they may hurt us sometimes or they're not living up to the expectations we have for them. And they're probably experiencing the same out of control feelings that we feel. And now we're trying to love each other and like live together. Like, yeah. Yeah, living up to your own expectations. Yeah. I cannot come up with a plan for every possible contingency plan for what may or may not happen in life. Yeah, yeah. There's too many things that could happen, and we, can, we cannot plan for all. We can barely even plan for one. And even our one plan, we can't even plan for, because who knows what's going to happen the next day. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, that's a good, that's a good, like, yeah, like, general life decisions. Yeah, yeah, they often feel overwhelming. Yeah. Well, Jesus has hope for us today. Yeah, he's not left us to our own devices. He's calling us to him this morning. Um, Yeah, let's jump into verse 23. And Jesus said to the Father, which, remind you, he says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. This sentiment, this cry from this dad, help my unbelief, it echoes through generations of believers. Every generation, every human has experienced this time where even the very ability to believe in the hope that we've proclaimed is not there. And what was the father's unbelief? I mean, it could have been a few different things. Maybe he was saying, is Jesus able to save my son? You know, the disciples couldn't save him. My attempts to save him haven't worked. Is he strong enough to defeat this thing that's defeated me? Is he, is he compassionate enough? Like, does he care about me? Or is he like other people where he'll help me as long as it'll help him to some degree? You know, he'd probably tried so many avenues of healing for this thing that was overwhelming him. And what I would say to us this morning is that the father who is living in unbelief is not alone. That, that we all are unbelievers in different areas of our lives. You know, some of you may not uh, proclaim to be Christian and not believe that Jesus was God or that you need a savior or even, or even know exactly what you believe about it. But even those who have said, yeah, Jesus is my savior, we all still choose many areas of our lives that we think someone else is better to be Lord over. We choose, whether it's ourselves or someone else, to put a hope in, to save us, to bring us joy, to get us through to the next day. That God, um, maybe we even think, you know, God, I don't know if he's strong enough for this, so I'm going to have to lean on myself. You know, whether it's, you know, your job not lasting and, and not knowing how you're going to make it financially in L.A., whether it's your spouse or, or your family not letting us down, or maybe even, maybe even hurting us more than we ever thought possible. Maybe if, it's even your health. L.A. loves to talk about our health, that we think we can control it and manufacture it, and it can bring us, like, long-term stability. Even that is a rug that that sometimes gets pulled out from under our feet. And when we realize these things, we have two options. We can can turn to another thing to try to help us gain control in our life. And it often just gets us back to the same area. 
Or we can do what this father did and, and cry out to God and say, help my unbelief. Because when he was saying, help my unbelief, he wasn't only saying, God, I can't, I can't heal my son. He was saying that. But he was also saying, the very ability to believe that you can help me, I, I, I don't have. I could, I could respond and say, I believe, God, I believe. But he knew that he didn't. He was in tune with how much he could actually change. And there's actually a lot of freedom in that. There's freedom in that as long as there's someone who can change us. I love that we sung Jesus is better this morning, by the way. Like the, how we called out as a family, Jesus is better, make my heart believe. You all were partaking in something that was echoed thousands of years ago. And when I was prepping for this sermon, what kept coming back to me is the story of the prodigal son. Uh, it, it was a story of a son who, if you don't know, uh, had a huge inheritance from his father. And, and instead of waiting till his father died, he asked for it all and, and went out into the country and, and blew all of his money on so many things he thought would fulfill him. And when he has nothing left, nothing has actually fulfilled him and satiated him like he was hoping for. And, and he's literally working in these pig stalls trying to eat the pig's food, just at the bottom of the bottom, overwhelmed with life, he comes back to his dad. And I think the call this morning could be simply just to come back to our dad and do what the son did. Because what he did is he came back and he said, Dad, I will work for you. Dad, take me back and solve my problem, but I will also earn it for you. And, and the father in this story, he, he imitates God for us. He's a picture of God. And the father in the story, he runs out to his son who is overwhelmed like many of us are with arms open wide and he embraces his son. And when his, when his son starts to say, okay, dad, I believe, I believe, but I'm going to work for it too. His dad says he doesn't have any of that. He puts a ring on his son's finger. He throws a party for his son and he says, you are welcomed into my family. You do not have to work to earn your, your place with me. You do not have to, like the father could have done, say, yeah, I'm sorry, I do believe, I do believe. He, he, the father says, just come to me as you are. And I have to imagine that the son's heart was changed so much more in just receiving the grace and love of his dad than working ever would. It, it's like when Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, all you who are weary. He's calling us this morning to all you who are weary out there, come to me. And this is one of our primary callings as a family. We talked about listening to God last week, which is a piece of this, but also coming to God in our need and praying and calling out to him as you are and receiving his love and grace, knowing that it's okay that we can't change ourselves. Because we have someone who can, and who does, and who's promised he will. Because the story didn't end with just the dad crying out. Jesus actually saved his son and brought freedom. He's the one who can break your bondage to your sin, 
break bondage to addiction, who can bring healing and restoration in yourself, in your families, in your communities. This is the God that we call out to this morning. This is the God that when I'm at my end this morning, I get to say to you all, hey, let's not look to me or Trip or Brad or anyone else. Let's all come before our Father this morning as a family and say, God, we need you to help us. We need you to move in our family, to bring reconciliation and restoration between the relationships in our family that are broken, to bring restoration in our communities, our neighborhoods that, have, that are fighting against one another, whether it's over political lines or school lines. We need God to come and restore even our ability to believe he can. So we finish out this passage. We go to verse 28, and we look at this other group that I talked about at the start. And he says, When Jesus had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Pretty short little snippet to end our passage today. But in this little interaction, like two sentences, we're reminded that this dependence on God, you know, this this need to call out to God to change ourselves, is also needed when we're trying to love our city, and when we're trying to love our neighbors, when we're trying to love our families, when we're trying to be ambassadors of reconciliation. As, as, As we send out a church to Venice that wants to see reconciliation, restoration, and a new kingdom come to Venice, We need God to go before us. And I'll be the first to say this morning that I need to repent of not seeing like a posture of prayer, of crying out before God to move in our cities as one of our primary callings as a church family. Like we can often think that it's something we do as an MC once a month, You know, we do it for a minute before we go on to mission or have a party. And then the 90 to 95% of our lives as uh, ambassadors of Reconciliation LA is is doing and speaking and, and interacting with people. And then if something doesn't work, I'm the first to call a strategy meeting. <laughs> I'm the first to say, hey, let's meet. We'll pray to start, which is it's good intentioned. And then let's figure out what we need to do differently to see the kingdom come in Culver City and in Venice and L.A. But what God wants to remind us in this season is that if our family wants to see the gospel saturate our neighborhoods, if, the gospel, if we want to see the gospel saturate L.A., first off, it's not by our power. It's got to be God who's moving before us, and, and we can't mess up his plans. But it's not going to be solely by a... a a uh, efficient, you know, highly mobilized missional community network across LA. It's going to be by a people who are on their knees before God, crying out for him to move first in ourselves and then calling out to him to move in our cities and to open hearts and to bring healing to broken places. God is so powerful to move in this way. And he's calling us to call out to him and to ask him for that. And we've talked about one reason why we don't already. You know, that, that we think that we can just make all that happen on our own as long as God's sponsoring that. 
And there is a call, and we're going to talk about that this year as a family, to speak and to uh, let our faith be known and to go out into our cities. You know, the Bible says faith comes through hearing, which necessitates us as people to speak (laughs) so people can hear. Uh, But we only have to recall our own faith and our own journeys if we've been on this long enough that the change happens as God mysteriously and powerfully moves in our hearts by an act of coming to him like the Father did and saying, I can't do this. Help me. Help my unbelief. Move powerfully. So that's the the first call, is that we may come to him and realize it's not in our own strength. But secondly, I think another reason that we forget or we don't call out to God is because we don't feel like we hear from him. You know, we we feel like we're talking to the air and we don't know what it means to, to listen to God or to hear from God. Sometimes he doesn't actually clearly answer the question that we're asking. (laughs) So that is true sometimes. But if we survey the Bible and the story that we're a part of, we see that we have a God who speaks and he guides his people. And oftentimes, I would say, we just don't slow down enough to listen. Family, we, we feel, it's not just us, it's the culture we swim in. It's the water we know you know, that we fill our lives with so much noise, constantly. You jump into a car, what do you do? Not many of us, I mean, some of you may drive silently. A lot of us turn on a podcast, an audiobook, music, but we fill our lives with so much noise all the time that we actually don't know how to be quiet. It's very hard for us to sit in silence. Even my quiet times, my quiet times are filled with knowledge. Like I'm gaining knowledge, I'm studying, I'm, I'm speaking out to God, which there's a time and place. But as Brad encouraged us and, and, and God led us in last week, there's a time to listen as well. There's a time to come before God and be silent. That's why he sent us the Holy Spirit, to, to convict us of sin and to, to teach us about Jesus, to call us to Jesus. And if it sounds odd or unapproachable, there's two easy guidelines I wanted to offer you all this morning that maybe can help you all start to engage with God and actually try to listen to him in your, in your own quiet times, with your DNAs, with your MCs. And the first is that when God speaks, it always aligns with what he's already said in his Bible about who he is and who you are. If you're listening and you're hearing just condemnation, if you're hearing identities spoken over you that don't align with what God says about you, it's probably not from him. But that also gives us boldness to enter in as we have his word before us and we can know what he says and we can know who he is and we can know who he says we are and we can engage and listen. And this is all the more reason to do this in community because how hard is it to discern our own thoughts? let alone to discern God's thoughts if we're not used to listening to him. So this is a call for us to do this in our MCs. But then it's also a call for us to actually know what he sounds like. And, and, and we have some good news. He's already spoken in his word. I was going to hold up a Bible, but this is an iPad. <laughs> this, is, this is not his word. But, but he's given us his word. He's spoken over thousands of years powerfully in mystery. Mister, 
mysteriously. That's the word. And we can seek him and know him. We can, we can hear how he thinks about us and who he is. And so it's a call as we start to engage and figure out, how do I listen to God more? Well, let's become more familiar with what he sounds like by learning what he says, what he's already spoken. As you become more familiar with what he sounds like, I want to encourage you all. It's like any relationship we have on earth. As you devote time and energy into someone, you actually start to become more familiar with what their voice sounds like. You become more familiar with the subtle cues of how they communicate, with, about how they sound, how they think about you. Even practically, you know, I know what Allie's voice sounds like in a crowd. And many of you not only know what your spouses sound like, but you know what your friends sound like because you've invested time and energy. You know, when, whenever a baby cries in there, there's a, there's a couple parents in there that perk up because they know exactly what their, their baby sounds like. Well, for the most of us, it just sounds like a crying infant. <laughs> um, but this is our call this morning. And this is really good news that we get to enter into as a family this morning and this year. The call to abide in God in our need, in our brokenness, in, in, in areas of our life that we feel overwhelmed by, that we may abide in Him. And He responds like he, he reminded us last week. He says, you are my child. I love you. Listen to me. So come to him this morning. And come to him as we're going out into our cities and as we're wanting to see restoration happen. This is a call to be a people of prayer on our knees. To be calling out to God for revival to happen. Let's pray. God, um, we are in desperate need of you to move. Man, we need you to move in our own hearts. God, for the very ability to believe, we need you. And God, we need you to bring reconciliation, restoration. We need you to bring a love that we don't have so that we can love each other and overcome the hurt and pain. God, to receive healing and restoration between the pain that we've caused each other and to bring that good news out to the city all around us. We need you. I pray, God, um, for anyone here who's feeling overwhelmed. God, I pray for anyone who's feeling like they're experiencing hurt, pain. They're, experiencing, they're just experiencing life overwhelm them, God, that they would come to you this morning come to you and say, help my unbelief. Jesus, you are better. Make my heart believe. That is our cry this morning, God. And I thank you that we don't cry to an unknown God, but we know you are here with us. You are the great comforter. You are the Lord of lords. And you are here. So we thank you so much. That's your name we pray. Amen.